Spirit of God. Thank you, guys. Y'all are awesome. Hallelujah. Well, looks like we have some that didn't want to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's all right. Praise God. Let's open our Bibles back to um, Proverbs, the 13th chapter. Seems like a good verse to reiterate tonight before we move on. Hallelujah. Pastor caught me with a mint in my mouth, so I'm having to finish it here. Hallelujah. Proverbs thirteen eighteen says, Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored or will prevail in life. Uh, we'll be honored. We'll be rich financially. We found out that word this morning means all those things. So God wants his children blessed. You know, you stop and think about all of the gold, the silver, the cattle on a thousand hills. Who did he create all that for? Create it for man. Then he created man, put him in the world and said, it's yours. Protect it. Have dominion over it. Amen. And of course, we know the devil came in and caused man to sin, but we had a, uh, a bigger person come in, and his name is Jesus, and he redeemed us from everything the devil did, put us back right with God, and now we can receive everything that God has for us. You know, the Bible says there's only one enemy that's not been put underfoot, and that's physical death. So, I mean, that's the very worst thing the devil can do to you is kill you and send you to the presence of Jesus a little quicker. <laughs> That's as bad as it gets. <laughs> and so, um, but the reason uh, God doesn't want the devil killing us is because he wants you and I being lights in the world. I mean, there's, what, 7 billion people on the earth today in the last caucus, whatever, and, and 5.5 and billion that don't know Jesus yet? That's not an acceptable number, I don't, I don't think so. So we need to be lights in our neighborhoods, lights in our workplace, lights in the grocery store, lights at Walmart, whatever. We do. Amen. And um, be vessels of honor, fit, and meet ready and for the master's use. Right? A lot, a lot of people that we gotta, we got to reach. And the Lord told me the first of the year, this year is open season. It's a time of open season. Uh, there's things going on in our government that has not happened in our government for decades. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. If you're a Christian, you should like what's going on because there is a major prayer base going on in our nation right now in the Capitol. And President Trump is born again, in case you haven't heard that. He's born again. I have some of my close minister friends that have been with him, and he's born again. He may not know a lot of Bible, but that's okay. You know, you know what? Can I, can I talk about this? This was really funny. Remember, this was months ago now, but I just got such a kick out of this. Months ago, uh, President Trump said to Corinthians, remember how it went all over the news? Oh, my God. Christians got all their hairs out of place and everything. Oh, my God. He doesn't even know how to pronounce it. Actually, if you're an English major, they loved it because he pronounced it correctly. You don't read a two anywhere by saying second unless you're saying the word second. <laughs> so he didn't read it King Jimmy style. He read it correctly and got lamb blasted for it. I thought that was funny. 
So that's why it, even if, you, if you've gotten any of my books, you know, some people say, why did you put 2ND instead of just 2 Corinthians? I said, because we don't talk Elizabethan English anymore. It's 2nd Corinthians. So if you spell it out, it's the word second. If you put a number, it's 2ND. Okay, that was my little bandwagon I had to get on this tonight. So, but anyway, but I'm I'm thrilled because when God said open season, we actually have a president that's for us, for the body of Christ, for Jerusalem, for <laughs> that being the capital, for Israel. Everything that the Bible says, we have a president that's for that, and so I'm excited about that. But it's an open season for us from heaven. Uh, God wants us walking in His blessings, and there's a uh, there's a whole lot of finances available to the body of Christ if we'll tap into it. You know, I'm financially blessed right now, but I'm not anywhere close where God wants me. I haven't been able to give a million dollars one-time gift away yet, have you? Any of us arrived there? Now, I have a couple of my close friends. One of my best friends, he's, he's you know, he's had $40 million in his account, so he's been, he's been able to write a million-dollar check and give it. I told him recently, I said, I'm going to catch you, and I'm going to pass you. He said, no, you're not. He said, next one, I'm going to give $2 million. <laughs> But it's, if you have a heart for the kingdom, when you see your pastors and see churches and then ministries like ours wanting to reach more people, it takes money to do that. So when I think about money, I don't think about it as just something to meet my needs. That's just a byproduct. That's just a blessing to have to meet my needs. I want to have enough so I can help my pastors and help the men and women of God that are out there on the front lines doing what they're called to do. And especially when they're growing and, and wanting to do things. I've seen so many churches, they want to, I mean, you guys have nice property and nice building here, but God wants this filled up and you building bigger, right? But I've seen so many churches, they're leasing space or they don't have property they like to buy. And so then they have to try and raise money from their congregation for the next five or ten years to get enough. God wants you and I wealthy so that our giving stops that kind of stuff. So that when God says something, we have the money to do it. And you know what? That's biblical. If you actually go back under the old covenant... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, David, all of them, when God told them to do something, not one of them ever had to pray and use their faith for money. When God told them to do something, that wasn't part of the equation. They had the money. So if they could do that under the old covenant, how much more should we be able to under the new and better covenant? Come on, we've got to think outside the box. We've got to think bigger. If God owns it all, he's my daddy, and so he's going to show me how to get it into my hands. This year, next year, until Jesus comes, I'm going to keep getting richer and richer, and I'm going to give more and more every opportunity I have. And if that's your heart, then God can make you wealthy and make you rich because money's not your God. Money's not your idol. Can I hear an amen? So... God says right here that he will honor us if we accept correction, accept the word. So, you know, let's just get down to where the rubber meets the road. Let's say this morning somebody was here and they heard what they heard this morning about you have, you've got to put God first if you want him in charge of your money. And, and they, let's say they weren't tithing. Well, then this word that we heard this morning was correction to them. And if you accept correction, the Bible said you'll be honored. That means you'll prevail in life. You'll be honorable person, and you'll be rich financially. So it pays to do things God's way. Come on. 
It pays to do things God's way. I finally figured out years ago when it came to finances, God is smarter than me. He's smarter than you. And he's smarter than the, the richest financial guru out there in the earth. You can go pay thousands of dollars to go to their meetings and learn their ways and stuff like that. God's smarter. He has a whole lot more wisdom. You could put them all together and they don't even come close to God's wisdom. I remember when, uh, you know, we told our daughter, Rachel, we said, Rachel, now, God has a million and one ways to bring money to you. That means you don't have to look to your parents. We're telling her this as she's growing up, right? Said you have a million, God has a million and one ways to bring money to you that you haven't even thought of yet. So you always put God first in your money, make him Lord of your money. That's really what tithing and giving does. It just makes him Lord of your life, Lord of your money. So then he can direct your paths. Um, but we took, kept telling Rachel that all our lives. And, you know, from the time she was about two, when she understood what at least money could do a little bit, it could buy a piece of candy or something, you know. So we started putting money in her hand every time we went to church. We said, don't ever go to church with, without being ready to give into that word you're hearing. You're not paying for the gospel. It's free, but you're helping get that money, that gospel out to somebody else. You're not being selfish. When you come and just hear the word and you don't give any money, you're being selfish. So we taught her that, and she grew up, and every time we went to church, and we never put change in her hands. We always put a dollar or more in her hands because we wanted her to think not tipping God, but being liberal and generous to God. And then, of course, she ends up getting married, you know, a few years, three years ago, and, and um, she decides, her and her husband decide to follow in our, our footsteps. We, when my wife and I get, got married, we rented an apartment for the first six months, but we put our faith out. The, the very start, we said six months from now, we will own our first house. And so six months later, we bought our first house. That's what my, my daughter and her husband did uh, two and a half years ago. They, well, they got married a little over two and a half years ago. And so they said, okay, six months from now, we're going to buy our first house. They did. They bought a foreclosure, um, paid 145000 for a 3,000 square foot home foreclosure had about 50,000 or more instant equity but they just sold it for 200 and 210,000 less than a year later that that's how what we did we we'd buy a home fix it up sell it move into our next one with a larger down payment and eventually we worked into no more mortgage and so now I see my daughter doing that but see she's been a tither and a giver so she knows the blessings are coming in because God's the lord of her money so, so the one story I wanted to tell that she learned to get her to the place where she is now, when she was about 16, we were uh, in a, another city out in the east, northeast, and um, we were preaching, and I think we did a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday night at this particular church. Yeah, and Tuesday morning... We were in the hotel room packing to get ready to go airport to fly back home. About 8 o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. And it's a businessman from the church that we just got done preaching at. He was a roofer. He owned a roofing company. And he said, uh, Dr. Hutton, he said, uh, he said, I was just on the rooftop at 7 a.m. this morning. And God spoke to me and told me to bring your daughter some money. He said, is that okay if I come to your hotel and bring it? I said, bring it. 
So I'm thinking to myself, now this is interesting. I'm, I'm going to tell Rachel here in just a minute, but I'm thinking, now, is this one of those million and one ways that you would never think of? In other words, there's a roofer on a rooftop at 7 a.m. that's never given you anything, and all of a sudden God speaks to him and tells him to come to your hotel and bring you money. I thought, this is, this is going to be good. And so he comes to the hotel, and I tell Rachel, Rachel, this businessman from the church um, has something for you. Let's go down and find out. And, and so Liz and I and Rachel, we go downstairs, and this businessman hands Rachel a $5,000 check. $5,000 check. Now, here was the cool part. I, I could tell Rachel was excited, you know, and we thanked the businessman, and then we went back up to our room. Here's the first words that came out of Rachel's mouth when we got back up to the room. Daddy, Mommy, guess what? We said, what, what? She said, I get to give a $500 tithe. I get to give more than most adults do. She, what, was, what was in her heart just came out without her even thinking. She first thought God first. Man, I'll tell you what, that's an that's a open door right there for more blessings to come. You know. So... We've got to just always be thinking, especially as God increases us, because I've seen people get increased, and then all of a sudden they start slipping. They don't realize it, but they start slipping. In other words, you know, they, they have enough money. Oh, okay, let's buy the boat now. And then on nice Sundays, they're not in church because they decide to go to the lake and use the boat, you know, because it's the only day off or something. And all, all of a sudden they put themselves ahead of God. So just remember, it's, God's not against you having the boat or the jet if you want a jet for yourself. Whatever. God's not against you having anything. He's against it having you. Right? God's not against us being rich. He's just against covetousness. So God said you'd be honored. So I remember since God called me to teach on this subject, and I want to keep my heart pure and right, and I want to help other people, I remember sitting in my office one day, and I was just dwelling on why Christians that do tithe are still not financially free. Because God promises windows of heaven blessings. So I remember sitting there in my office, and all of a sudden, I'm, I didn't have the Bible open to the Old Testament. I had it open to the New Testament. And all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Well, I'm familiar with Malachi 3.10. How about you? Does everybody know that one? I mean, most most Christians know Malachi 3.10, and a lot of sinners know it. Because if they'd ever been to church, it was crammed down their throat. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse. So, so when God told me to turn over to Malachi 3, I thought that's where he's wanting me to go. And uh, so he had me read a, a verse there. Actually, I think we'll just turn over there real quick. Let me show you something here. Malachi 3, we'll go to verse 11. We could read verse 10 in case you're not familiar with it, but I want to get to the verse he was wanting to show me in verse 11. Malachi 3, 10 and 11. Of course, verse 10 is the famous verse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there's provision in his house. Prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open you the floodgates of heaven, pour you up blessings more than you have enough to to receive. Verse 11, and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he'll not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Um, So when he brought me here, he had me read verse 11. And then he said something to me that shocked me. Um, 
really, really shocked me because he said something that went against what I preach. (laughs) And it made me have to humble myself and admit that I don't know it all. Anybody here know it all? If anybody raises your hand, we're going to have an altar call for liars. (laughs) But he also showed me that us, we call ourselves word people, full gospel, you know, uh, word of faith. Some of us call like the Apostle Paul. He said, what is it? The word is nigh you, even in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. So if you consider yourself a person that believes that you're supposed to get God's word in your heart and speak it out of your mouth, you're just like the Apostle Paul. You're a word of faith person. But God showed me, he said, you uh, have your um, <laughs> sacred cows too that need kicked over. You have things that you believe that aren't scripturally accurate either. We don't ever like to admit that. Uh, we, you know, we think we have the corner on the market, so to speak, you know, when it comes to certain things. But we have to be honest and open and humble enough to say, listen, the Bible says, I see in part, I know in part. So there are parts that other preachers have that I don't have. There are parts that I have that they don't have. We need each other. So when the Lord said what he did, uh, I challenged it only because I've had supernatural experiences. Um, The the offices I stand in as prophet and teacher, um, I've had supernatural visions and audible voices and different things happen supernaturally to me. And something that my mentors taught me, my first mentor was the late Curtis Bradford. He's in heaven now. He was my pastor down in Florida for a number of years. And then the late Kenneth E. Hagan was my second mentor. And both of them told me privately, they said, uh, Larry, if you ever have supernatural things happen, if Jesus appears to you, if an angel appears to you, if you hear audible voices talk to you, no matter what it is supernaturally, if you have those things happen, If what you hear does not line up with the Bible, forget it. And so it always made me on my guard so that, okay, if an angel appears, if Jesus appears, if I hear voices, audible voices, if the Lord speaks to me from heaven, whatever, a burning bush talks to me, I don't care, whatever. If it, if I hear that or I see that, I'm going to make sure, okay, does that, what I just heard, does it line up with the Bible? Because God and the Word are one. Jesus and the Word are one. So... I challenged. This is what, when I came here and read that, and I'll rebuke the devourer, this is the word that I heard like an audible voice speak to me. I no longer rebuke the devourer for my children under the new covenant. Well, I've always preached that. For years I've preached he rebuked the devourer. Have you ever heard anybody preach that? I, I, I have friends in the ministry today that still preach that. I see them on television preaching it. But when the Lord spoke that to me, I challenged it. I, I said, Lord, now um, uh, you, you do rebuke the devourer, and I can prove it. I have your word. <laughs> so I took him to his word. I said, right here, Lord, you said you rebuke the devourer. God said, I no longer rebuke the devourer for my children in the New Testament. I said, yes, you do, Lord. You do right here. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, you've taken one Old Testament scripture out of the Old Testament, out of its context, and you've tried to make it apply to you with no New Testament Scripture to back it up 
or any other scripture to back it up. And because you did not have scripture, boy, he was stepping all over my toes. He was reading my mail. He said, because you didn't have any other scripture to back it up, you had to try and use somebody's testimony to prove that I rebuked the devourer. I thought, man, guilty as charged. That's exactly what I did. I, didn't, I never had any other scriptures besides this one to prove the rebuke that of ours. So I would try and tell about how this tither did this, this, and this, and see God, God saved him, you know, and so that shows God rebukes the devourer. I'd, I'd try and use testimony. Listen, testimony, somebody's testimony, or in other words, an experience, cannot be used to establish Bible doctrine. Cannot. You'll get squirrely. You'll get way off if you do that. The Bible has to establish Bible doctrine. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So the Lord said, um, so he said, I don't, I don't rebuke the devourer. He said, you've, you've taken uh, Scripture out of a setting. He said, besides, if I was rebuking the devourer, do you think the devourer would have to listen to me? What would you answer if God asked you that question? He, he asked me, he said, so... If I rebuke the devourer, who is the devourer, by the way? Satan's the devourer. So if I'm rebuking the devourer, God's asking me, if I rebuke the devourer, would, would Satan have to obey me? Of course he would. He said, yes, he would. Remember in the garden when I told him, on your belly you shall go and eat dust all the days of your life. And what happened? He had to obey God. On his belly went. He's been on a bad diet ever since. <laughs> so, yeah, he has to obey God. So, so God said, well... He said, if I rebuke the devourer for New Testament Christians like I did under the Old Covenant, then they would be rich just like all the Jews were under the Old Covenant. Because if I rebuke the devourer, he could not devour, so every tither would be financially free. I thought, whoa, wait a minute here. I, I, I wasn't thinking like that before. And I thought, hmm. Um, so let me, let me show you this verse. He said, um, well, let me finish telling you what he said first. He, he, he didn't stop there. He said, I no longer rebuke the devourer for my children under the new covenant. I've done better for you than that. I have whipped him, stripped him, defeated him for you. I've loosened you from his works. I've put him underneath your feet, and I've given you dominion and authority to do something about him. And if you don't do anything, then he will still devour. I thought, hmm, okay. He said, uh, under the old covenant, they didn't know. They didn't know anything about the devil. More than that, truth they could not do anything. They didn't have authority over the devil under the old covenant. So then the Lord showed me uh, in this verse. Let me, let me explain it to you. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he'll not destroy, now watch this, the fruits of your ground, neither your vine caster fruit before the time in the field. So, so this is talking about the Israelites, the Jewish people that had businesses, Businesses of the fruits of their ground or vines, vine-type fruit, grapes, different things. And according to God, if he rebuked the devourer, then the devourer could not destroy their fruits, which means they would get full harvest, which means they would be wealthy, right? But 
If God did not rebuke the devourer, then he would destroy the fruits of their ground. Their vine would cast the fruit. In other words, they wouldn't have harvest and they'd be poor, right? So if God was still rebuking the devourer for all of us in the new covenant, then the devourer would not be able to take anything. And we'd all be wealthy. Sometimes, Pastor, you just want to stop and see law. Think about it. So I said, okay, Lord, I said, I, I see where you're going with this. And, yeah, that all, that all makes sense. But, boy, of course, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, but that means I have to admit I was wrong. And I got to preach it different. And, but I said, okay, Lord, I, I want to I preach it right. I want to do what's right. So, so if you said you don't rebuke the devour in the new covenant, then you're going to have to prove it to me with Scripture. That's what I asked him. And he said, okay. And I said, if you can show me two or three, he said, I'll show you a lot more. <laughs> I said, okay. So let's go over the New Testament. We're going to start in Matthew 16. I don't know that we'll get to go to all the different scriptures he took me to. We'll try to hit some of them here. Matthew 16. We're going to get to verse 19. We'll, let's start reading in verse 15 because you all remember this story where God or, or Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And, you know, they said, well, you know, uh, well, after they said, you're, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, uh, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, well, blessed are you. In fact, let's just pick it up right here in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood's not revealed this to you, but my father did. Verse 18, and I say that you're Peter, and that word Peter is the Greek word Petros, which means a piece of rock. So you're, you're a piece of rock. And upon this rock, that's the Greek word Petra, which is a massive rock. So it's not talking about Peter. Uh, Peter, you're a piece of rock, but upon this rock, this massive rock, in other words, the revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the church. That's you and me, isn't it? And so verse 19, And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But you tithers won't need to use your keys and bind and loose because I'll rebuke him for you. Wait a minute. Was that in there? I, I, I didn't see that. How'd that come out? Hmm. Notice God said, I give you the keys. The church. I give you the keys. So you have to use the keys. And whatever you bind or whatever you... I had somebody ask me, Brother Larry, could you please explain this binding and loosing to me so I get understand it? I said, okay, I like to make it simple. I said, first of all, in context, if you read something in context, it's easier to interpret. He first of all said keys before he used the word binding and loosing. So I said, so get the picture of a key. What does the key do? Well, it either locks a door or it unlocks a door. So I said, that's what binding or loosing is doing. You're either locking something out or unlocking and let something in. So whenever you lock the door against sickness and disease and say, no, I bind you, I'm stopping you, you're not allowed in my body, then you're binding. And God says, I'll back you up with my power in heaven. And whatever you're loot, well, I allow the healing power of God, or I allow the financial grace of God to flow in my life, or I allow the peace of God to overcome this situation. I'm not going to get worried and stressed about anything. Then what are you doing? You're allowing the grace of God to flow. And God says, I'll, whatever you bind, I'll back you up. Whatever you loose, I'll back you up. 
Is that, is that understandable? Makes it, makes it easy to understand. But I wanted you to see here, God said, you do the binding and loosing. God did not say he would, and he didn't exclude tithers here. He's actually talking to uh, people that were still under the law that were tithing because of the law. And he said, uh, you're going to have to use these keys, and you're going to have to bind and loose. Hmm. Let's go over a couple chapters to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. You know, while you're turning there, I just, I, I finally realized years ago, if you were, if you put yourself in the devil's shoes, what would you want to tell Christians to keep them from becoming financially free? Here's one of the biggest lies the devil's ever told Christians. God rebukes the devourer for you. And if Christians believe it, They sit back on their laurels. They sit back and wait for God to rebuke the devourer, and they wonder why their finances keep getting chewed up. I've had so many people in my financial freedom seminars, when I do three- and four-day seminars at places, I've had so many people come up to me, Brother Larry, I have been tithing for years. Somebody said, I've been tithing for 20 years. I've been tithing for 30 years. I've been tithing for 40 years. I've had people tell me all these things. I've been tithing, tithing, tithing for years. I don't understand if God rebukes the devourer, why do I keep having all these financial difficulties and deep financial problems if God's rebuking the devourer? And they even asked me, it's going to sound funny, but they weren't being funny, but they said, is, is, has God gone to sleep and he's not, he's not rebuking the devourer? Or, or is God not talking loud enough to the devourer? Or is the devourer gone deaf and can't hear God rebuking him? Or, or I mean, they keep asking all these questions, you know. What, what, what's, what's up with this? If God's rebuking the devourer and my finances keep getting devoured, what's going on? What's up with that? And I didn't have an answer for him, which is why I was praying that day in my study and asking the Lord to show me, help me, Lord. You've called me to teach on this subject, so give, give me, show me some answers. And then I saw, oh, my goodness. If, if God doesn't rebuke the devourer under the new covenant, but us New Covenant Christians think he does. Then the devil's going to eat your lunch and eat your dinner and eat your snacks too. And, and, and we're going to wonder why this isn't working. Lord, I'm a tither. I don't understand. I'm a tither. What's going on? Well, that's why we're looking at Scripture now. Because I don't want you to believe this, that God no longer rebukes the devourer. I don't want you to believe that because you heard Brother Larry say it. On the other side, I don't want you to believe God does rebuke the devourer just because another preacher said it. I don't want you to believe any of us preachers. I want you to believe it because you see it in the the Word of God. Then your faith is not based on what man says. Your faith is now based on what God says. All right? So we have already seen one scripture. God said, whether you're a tither or not, you're going to have to use the keys. You're going to have to bind and loose. So watch this. Same thing said in Matthew 18, 18. Verily I say unto you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But you tithers won't need to bind or loose because I'll rebuke him for you. Does it say that? Nope. So again, we're seeing the same thing again. You are going to have to do the binding and the loosing, and then God will back you up. Let's jump over to Mark chapter 16. Mark the 16th chapter. Man, one of the biggest lies the devil has ever sold the body of Christ. God rebukes the devourer. Because then he 
He comes and he causes things to not last as long and break down and causes this to happen, causes that to happen, and starts devouring our finances, and we wonder why it's happening. Instead of standing up and saying, No, you don't, Satan. Take your hands off my finances. A lot of Christians do that when it comes to their health, when it comes to their marriage, when it comes to other areas of lives, but when one comes to their money, if they believe God rebukes the devourer, then they do not use their authority like they should in that area. And I've seen it over and over and over, everywhere I go, all over the world. So look at Mark 16. We know verse 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. Verse 16, he that believes baptized shall be saved, he that believes not shall be damned. Verse 17, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. You can read that both ways. I've heard preachers preach it both ways. They, they read it. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. Or you can read it this way. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. And both of them are correct. <laughs> so don't get hung up on one or the other. Mainly, you're believing and you have the name. So what does God say? You can cast out what? So you know what the Lord asked me when he brought me over to this verse? Of course, you know, he's teaching me that God doesn't rebuke the devourer under the uh, new, co- new Covenant for New Covenant Christians. When he brought me here and I read that, um, I believe in the name that I'll cast out devils. And, and the Lord asked me, what does that mean? I said, what do you mean, what does it mean? It means exactly what it says. It means I'll cast out devils. He said, explain. What does it mean? I said, okay, Lord, if somebody is demon-possessed, if they have a bunch of devils or even one, this says I can cast them out of the person if they're demon-possessed. He said, is that all? Yeah, that's the way I looked at him. I said, what do you mean, is that all? I said, you said I could cast out devils. So if somebody's got a devil, I can cast it out of them. He said, so, so you don't think the devil works in other areas of people's lives besides possession? He said, you don't think the devil attacks people's emotions, their minds? You, you don't think people, uh, the devil attacks people's marriages? You don't think the devil attacks people's bodies? I can show you scriptures that talk about spirits of infirmities. He said, when I told you to cast out devils, you can cast out devils that attack people's marriage, your own marriage, first of all. You can attack, you can cast out devils that attack your own body if a spirit of infirmity is trying to come on you. You can cast out devils that are attacking your mind if you all of a sudden are getting depressed or oppressed or, or, or discouraged about things. That's devils attacking you. You can cast them out. And I'd never seen that in this verse before. I'd never heard that preached before. This came by revelation when the Lord was talking to me about this stuff. I'm sure other preachers preach it, but I'd never heard it. So then I saw, oh, I can cast out, oh, that's right, cast out devils. Well, bless God, from now on then I'm going to be on my guard. He said, but did you notice in this verse I didn't say that you wouldn't have to cast them out if you're a tither? No. It doesn't say, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Thou cast out devils, but you tithers won't have to cast them out. I'll rebuke him for you. <laughs> nope, doesn't say that. So now here we are, the third scripture that shows that you and I, as believers, God did not say, I will rebuke the devil or I'll cast out the devils for you. No, he said, you'll cast out devils as a believer. And you'll do it in my name. Why? Because we're in him and he's in us. And we have the name. We have the word. We have the blood. Oh, my goodness. We have everything in our arsenal we need. 
to overcome everything that ever comes against us. Are you with me? I remember when I was in Colorado one time and a, and a bunch of devils possessed a woman. I mean, they came to the service with her. <laughs> she came to the service and she looked at like a wild mountain cat at me through the whole service. I remember calling her up, and boy, when I, when I touched her, she fell to the floor. Now she wasn't acting like a wild cat. She started slithering like a snake on the floor. And I remember when I laid hands on her. I'll never forget this. It, 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 this has never happened before, and it's never happened since. When I touched her, it, it's like my hands became huge magnets, and her head became a piece of steel. It's like, and then when she fell to the floor and started slithering like a snake, I couldn't get my hands off of her. It's like I just had to walk with her and just, you know, as she slithered up, hundreds of people were there, saw this whole thing happen. When she hit this wall that we slithered over, she slithered over too. I just kind of followed her, you know. When we, when we hit the wall, all of a sudden my hands were loosed from her and she fell on the floor. She looked like a dead person. She looked dead. A couple minutes later, she got up gloriously saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, totally delivered, totally set free. You and I have dominion over every devil, over every demon. In fact, you have dominion over the, the top dog himself, Satan. You know, you want me to tell you something? This is the reason Satan will not appear to you or me. Now, he might appear to some Christians that would get their wits scared out of them. But you know why he won't appear to me, won't appear to you? Because he knows if you and I could see him as he is, we'd laugh him to scorn. Oh, yeah, he's been whipped, stripped, made a show of openly. He has no power, no nothing unless he can get somebody to fear, which is faith in him. It's the opposite of faith in God. Fear is an opposite force. And so the devil will not appear to us because he's whipped, he's stripped, he's defeated. We'd laugh him to scorn. So he has to try and disguise himself as an angel of light. He has to try and talk and boast real big. Roar, roar, roar. Remember the Bible says he roars like a roaring lion. He tries to get, get you to believe lies. So you'll get afraid and worried and stressed and all this stuff. So then he can work. But you and I have dominion over the devil, and God's telling us right here, you've got to cast out devils. So if they come and all of a sudden you get in fear about something, cast that spirit of fear out. Cast out devils, right? Don't, don't allow fear to stay. You know what I did one time years ago? I went through the Bible, and I studied every scripture that said, do not fear, don't be afraid, fear not. I studied every one of them. And then I've gone over many times since then because I refuse to fear anything. I will not. Why? Because, I mean, even if Jesus just said it three times, that's enough for me. But it was said over a hundred times. Fear not, fear not, fear not. If God said it, he meant it. It means we do not have to fear. But what a lot of people don't realize, the devil's subtle. So he uses offsprings of fear trying to make us think, well, I wasn't afraid. I was just worried. I wasn't afraid I was concerned. I wasn't afraid I was just um, stressed a little bit. But see, all of those are forms of fear. So you're in fear if you're stressed. You're in fear if you're worried. You're in fear if you're all concerned about something. You're in fear. God said, no, do not fear. Do not. That's pretty plain. Isn't it? Are y'all getting this? I'm telling you. 
You're, you're going to see this tonight. This is going to really help you because I believe the next 12 months are going to be the best 12 months of your life. I believe that. The next 12 months are going to be the best 12 months of your life. You watch this. So, so that's, that's Mark 16. So notice, even though he's talking to tithers, he's talking to all Christians, all believers here, and, and he did not tell tithers, you're not going to have to cast out devils. No, we're still going to have to. Look at, look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is the, the 10th chapter of Luke. This is where God or Jesus sent 12 of his disciples out in his name. He said, go out and cast out devils and heal the sick and, and raise the dead, freely receive, freely given. So they went out and came back. And now, then he's now sent 70 out. We're getting ready to pick up the story after those 70 have returned. Now, these 70 are not part of the original 12 apostles of the Lamb. These 70 are just believers like you and me. And Jesus sent them out, gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and over all sickness and sent them out. And now they came back in verse 17. The 70 returned. This is Luke 10, 17. The 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. Subject to who? Didn't say subject to God. Said subject to us, us believers. Watch this. Verse 18. And Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give to you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over part of the power of the enemy. Over a little bit of power of the enemy. How much? All the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you, but you tithers won't need to use your power because I'll rebuke him for you. (laughs) No, once again, God said, I give you authority And all of heaven's power backing your authority, but you have to do something with it. Whatever you bind, right? So this one says, I give you power so nothing can hurt you. In other words, you have to use your authority to stop him from hurting you. But if you don't, then the devil can still hurt you. He can hurt you through marriage and get cause divorce. He can hurt you through uh, physical sickness and cause premature death or just incapacitated, or he can uh, hurt your emotions and cause you to be a, a yo-yo Christian up and down emotionally all the time. He can do all kinds of things if you will let him, but you don't have to let him because God said, I've given you authority to stop him. Right? All right. So let's go to the next verse, Ephesians 6, Ephesians chapter 6. Have we found any scriptures in the New Testament? God rebukes a devourer for us yet for tithers. Let's keep going. Verse uh, 16, Ephesians 6, 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, but you tithers won't need to use your shield. I'll rebuke him for you. Hmm. So here we are talking to new covenant Christians certainly going to be putting God first in their finances and tithing. So here he said, you're still going to have to use your shield of faith because... And, of course, if you read this in context, you know, when you've done all to stand, stand against the wiles of the devil. So we know who, who's shooting the fiery darts, who he's talking about here. The devil wants to shoot fiery darts at you, fiery darts of divorce, fiery darts of disease, fiery darts of depression, fiery darts of poverty. No matter what dart he can get burning in you to stop you, he wants to do it. But God said he's given you a piece of armor that will stop every. How many? How many? All, all the fiery darts, every single fiery dart of the wicked. Isn't that good news? But now, what if we don't use our shield? 
God, I just don't understand why these things are happening to me. Why you allow these things to happen. So many Christians say that. And they don't realize it's not God allowing them to happen. God says, I've given you the shield of faith. Then I've given you the word, the word, the sword of the Spirit. I've given you the word. You speak it out of your mouth. Wow. But again, I wanted you to see, because what are we looking at? We're looking at God doesn't rebuke the devourer just because you're a tither. The devourer is going to come along if you're tithing and eat your lunch and eat your dinner and snacks too. If you let him, whether you're a tither or not a tither. All right, let's go over to James chapter 4, verse 7. James 4, 7. Oh, Brother Larry, I know James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, that's usually the only part of the verse Christians do know. And unfortunately, that part of the verse doesn't even work if you don't do the first part of the verse. Come on, in context again. <laughs> verse 7, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to... To who? To God. Then do what? So if you're not submitted, and and I submit to you, if we have not made him Lord of our money, if we're not putting him first, if we're not tithing and giving into the kingdom of God, then we have not put him first in our finances, and we've not made him Lord, so we're not submitted to God. So forget the second part of the verse. Hmm. I know that's heavy, Rebbe, isn't it? But, I mean, it's simple truth that we've just got, remember, we've got a... We've got to accept correction, accept Bible doctrine so that we'll be honored, promoted to honor, uh, financially free, and overcome in everything in life that God wants us to prevail in. So notice here he says, submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So if the devil is coming where he needs to flee, that means he's coming to bring hurt and harm and destruction and and tell lies and everything that's going to cause darkness to operate in our lives. But if we're submitted to God and and we're submitted to his light and his love and his healing and his goodness and his prosperity, his blessing, then we're going to say, no, we don't accept darkness. We don't accept sickness. We don't accept curses in our lives because I'm submitted to God. Are you with me? And then what does the devil have to do when we're submitted to God and then we resist him or, in other words, we rebuke him? Oh, by the way, this does not say uh, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But you tithers, you won't need to resist him. I'll rebuke him for you. Does it? So again, over and over and over and over, we're seeing all these verses that say nothing about God doing something about the devil. Why? He's already done everything he's going to do about the devil until that day that he has lifted up and swung around a bunch of times and thrown into the bottomless pit. I hope God will let me put my hand up there and help him. But if not, I'm going to be on the edge of that pit. You going to be with me? I'm going to be on the edge of that pit watching him go into that bottomless pit forever. And that's in Revelations 20. And in Revelations 21, here's what it says about you and me. For the rest of eternity, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. Mm. I like that. But in the meantime, when those things try and come against us, sorrow and sickness and pain and those things, we don't have to allow them to stay. 
because those are works of darkness. Did Jesus overcome all the works of the enemy? Yes, he did. And he's given you and I the keys of the kingdom. That's why whenever I, I'm 63 years old now, I'll be 64 in a couple of months. I'm in the best shape of my life because I have more word in me and more understanding of the word than I've ever had. So when pain comes against me, I remember in my 40s and I got into my 50s and people would start saying, watch out for Mr. Arthur. You know, arthritis, you know, watch out for Mr. Arthur. He's going to try and get you. And boy, I remember in my 50s when all of a sudden, oh, man, man, what was and, and you're tempted to say, oh, I must be getting arthritis. I would not allow myself to say that. No, I'm not getting arthritis. I'm healed of arthritis. You can't come into my body. And so every time I've ever had any pains that come against my body, the first words out of my mouth are it is written. I don't say what I feel. Because that's Satan trying to get your faith turned into fear and working against you. So I speak the word. Somebody said one time, oh, you faith people just deny reality. No, I do not deny the pain. I deny its right to remain in my body. And that's what faith does. I do not deny the pain. I know it's there, which is why I'm speaking. It is written. Why did Jesus speak? It is written because he knew the devil was there. So I just don't allow physical pain to stay in my body when it comes. And I've been attacked. I've been attacked majorly before. Boy, I could tell you some testimony where I had to stand for several weeks against pain that was trying to take me out and incapacitate me. But I refuse to allow it to stay. I will not. Jesus bore it for me. And if Jesus bore it for me, his blood is good enough. He does not have to come back, shed his blood again for me. He does not have to come back and, and, and take those sickness and diseases on his body on the cross for me again. He did it once and for all. That's enough. So I'm good with that. Now I'm going to be bold about that. Amen. Whew. My preaching's really good tonight. I hope you're enjoying this. Man, I am preaching some good truth tonight. Glory to God. So submit to God, then resist the devil, even though you're a tither, even though he's talking to tithers, then even though you're a tither, you still have to resist the devil or he won't flee. So if you don't resist him, then guess what? Here he comes and starts working in your finances and doing all this stuff. And people are sitting back waiting for God to rebuke the devourer. And God's not going to rebuke him. He defeated him. He whipped him, stripped him, made a show of him openly, put him underneath your feet, gave you the authority and dominion over the devil. You have to do something. All right, go over to 1 Peter. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. I've been going almost an hour already. All right, 1 Peter, let's, let's try and wind this up tonight. This is going to be huge, though, because you watch what happens. The next 12 months, when little things happen to your finances, you're not going to stand there and just accept them. You're going to stand up and say, it is written. Now, if you don't know what's written, that's not going to help you. <laughs> so... That's why this morning, remember when I had them, this Teresa, Teresa, right? When I had uh, her play the, the scripture CD on well scriptures, that's why I put that out. So people, when you're driving or before you go to bed or when you're eating breakfast, whatever, you can listen to the scriptures, get a whole bunch of them in you. And then anytime something breaks down that shouldn't have broke down this soon, yes, things are going to wear out, but they, they're going to last a whole lot longer for you and me when we're exercising our authority. But anything, I mean, like something happens, something breaks down or something at the house or the dog has to go to the vet, whatever. And you, it, you don't have the money for what just happened. Don't ever sit there and say you don't have the money. 
That's the fact. But the truth says you got more than enough because God will supply how many of your needs? Are you facing a need or not? Will he supply it or not? Okay, so it comes down. Are you going to believe truth or going to believe facts? Right? So, so when facts hit my body, when pain tries to hit my body, it's a fact. It's real. But it is not truth. Truth doesn't change. Facts are subject to change. Are you with me? So God, God, God lets us know then, hey, you, you believe the word, speak the word, that's truth. And God watches over his word, his truth, to perform it. That's why I've always gotten the victory over everything that's ever come against my body. Tumors and all kinds of stuff come against my body. That's Probably it's because I'm out on the front lines all the time preaching the good news. The devil doesn't like it, but I don't care. He can attack me all he wants to. I already win. I've already won. So as long as I don't quit, then I'm going to keep winning. Because Jesus already got me the victory. Thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. Amen. Thanks be to Jesus who gives us the victory. Man, he's already given me the victory before I enter the battle. I like that. And when I go into the battle, I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Doesn't say I'm going to camp in the valley. <laughs> Doesn't say I'm going to be defeated in the valley. Said I'm going to walk through it. And you guys understand the valley of the shadow of death is just talking about the kingdom of darkness. You know that? It's just talking about the kingdom of darkness. It's here on the earth while we're here. So while you're going through the... Valley of the shadow of death, don't fear anything, because God is with you. Amen. And so he sets a table up right in, in the presence of your enemy. He sets up a table. Wow. And goodness and mercy are following me. So my backside's protected. I'm moving forward. If I'm not helping you tonight, I'm preaching me happy. I'm telling you what, this is good. Uh, this is good stuff. Glory to God. So look at look First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith. But you tithers won't need to resist him, because I'll rebuke him for you. Verse after verse after verse after verse. All right, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, which just means to pay attention and be on your guard. Why? Because you have an enemy. He's arrayed against you. His name, according to this verse, is the devil. Goes by a lot of different names. Satan, Lucifer, the evil one, the wicked one, the liar, the destroyer, the deceiver, all kinds of different names. But this says he's our adversary, right? Adversary, if you look it up, is arch enemy in the Greek and, and specifically Satan in, in the Greek. So we have an enemy that wants to devour us. Is that right? Keep that in mind, because now we're seeing in the New Testament, he's still referred to as a devourer, even though he's defeated. Now, remember, under the Old Covenant, when he wasn't defeated, God had to rebuke the what? Devourer. But now we know he is defeated, but he's still called a devourer here in the New Covenant. So, when the Lord brought me over here, he showed me, now he said, notice, I did not say tithers, did not need to resist him. I said, you're going to have to resist him or he will devour. And so then the Lord asked me this. And and this is leading up to us going back and closing with our beginning text there in Malachi 3:11 God rebukes the devourer. So God asked me this. He said um He said, "Did I defeat sin in the New Testament?" I said, "Yes, sir." 
You did. You, you sent Jesus to the cross and he bore our sins so that we could bear your righteousness. Yes, sir, you defeated sin. He said, do you know Christians that have been devoured by sin? All of us shake our heads. Yes, we've seen preachers on national television devoured by sin. So, yes, sir, yeah, I, I, I have seen that. He said, does that mean I did not defeat sin? I said, no, sir, it doesn't mean that. He said, what it means is, even though sin's been defeated, you still have to enforce its defeat. Then he asked me this. He said, did I defeat sickness in the New Testament? I said, yes, sir. Matthew eight seventeen says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So, yes, Jesus bore our sicknesses. You defeated sickness so that we could have health in our physical body while we're here. Yes, sir. He said, do you know Christians that have died prematurely with sickness and disease that have been devoured by it? I said, yeah, even some of my preacher friends have died prematurely with sickness and disease. He said, does that mean I did not defeat it? I said, no, Lord, I know you defeated it. You put it on Jesus for us. He said, then it means you have to enforce its defeat. Hmm. He said, uh, did I defeat poverty? In the New Testament. He asked me that. And I said, yes, sir. I know the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for my sakes, he became poor. He bore my poverty so that I, through that act of love, through that taking my poverty on him, I would be rich financially free. Yes, you bore poverty in the New Testament. He said, do you know Christians that are poor? Christians that have been devoured by poverty? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, does that mean I didn't defeat it? I said, no, sir, it means I have to enforce its defeat. Hmm. So then that takes us back to Malachi 3.11 where God said, and. Remember that first word of, of verse 11 after he said tithe and he'll open the windows of heaven, pour out floodgate blessing. Then he says, and. That's when God took me back to that verse. And I'll rebuke the devourer. And guess what? There's still a devourer. And he still needs to be spoken to. He needs to be rebuked. He needs to be resisted. But now it's not God going to be doing it. It's you and me as believers going to be doing it. This has been a major reason. I mean, when I started asking people, they've been tithing 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, whatever. And I started asking them. So whenever you've had things happening, are you, um, are you releasing your faith? Are you using your authority and dominion, telling the devil, take your hand? Well, no, God rebukes a devourer for me. That's what I found out, that people were just complacent. They were sitting back. They weren't doing anything because they believed God was rebuking the devourer. But now they wouldn't do it concerning other areas where they knew they had to use their authority for their health or their marriage or their mind, emotions or things. But this has been a major reason right here why the body of Christ has not been blessed financially is because even though God's blessed us with every blessing of heaven, physical, spiritual, financial, emotional, every blessing of heaven has been given to us that pertains to this life and godliness, everything, Christians aren't releasing it or allowing it in their lives because of their believing and speaking. Because what we believe is what we say. And what we believe and say is what comes to pass in our lives. That's how faith is released, is from the heart through the mouth. So when the car breaks down and 
you don't have enough money to save for it, put a watch on your mouth. You know what I mean by that, right? Put a watch. <laughs> okay, that's a literal translation there, but that that doesn't mean put a watch on your mouth. But it, it probably a pretty good translation there, because at least it would stop you, you know, stop you from saying the wrong thing. Huh? Um, in other words, guard what you're saying. Remember. When God said in uh, Proverbs 4, he said, If you attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, don't let them depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for their life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues or forces of life. See, so you've got to guard and make sure that that tongue doesn't light more fires in your life, because it will if you allow it to. So I tell people, I said, now, you know, don't be like squirrely Christians. Don't sit there and deny, you know, like this one. I, I went to Rama Bible Training Center back in 1981. And so during those years in the 80s, there was this one Rama student that drove down the road and, and hit a car and had an accident. And they got out of the car and the other person said, you know, because it was their fault, the, the Rama student's fault, and, you know, we're going to need to call the police, and can, can I get your driver's license? And the Rama student was sitting there saying, I didn't have an accident. I didn't have an accident. I didn't have an accident. Now, that's ignorance gone to seed. You did have an accident, dummy. <laughs> and you sitting there confessing you didn't is not confessing the word of changing anything. <laughs> What you now need to be confessing is God has mercy on me and I have the favor of God operating with the police and with the court system and with the ticket and all the stuff. And you better believe, be believing God and using your faith for something that's reality, that's truth here, man. So, so if the car breaks down, you don't have the money for it. You don't sit there and say to your husband or to your spouse, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have the money. No, wait a minute. You stop and you say, wait a minute. Now, if we really believe God meets all our needs, this is a need, then that means we do have the money. It may not look like it, but we're not going to be moved by that. Come on, let's pray and let's believe right now. Father God, thank you. And here's how you pray. This will really put a, a, a mess in the devil's crawl. I'm telling you, because the devil's wanting you to speak fear so that he can do more. And just keep that poverty going bad, worse and worse. So, so here's what you do when you pray. Say, Lord God, not only are we asking you for enough money to, to pay for the car, but we're asking you for extra money so we can pay for somebody's car in our church that needs repaired. Whoo, now there's, there's fear gone right there. Because you're not only believing the money for you, you're believing the money to help somebody else too. The devil wasn't expecting that, man. He thought you'd get all in fear, be talking, oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then he starts devouring. But now when you got in faith, all of a sudden then God moves and he opens up one of those million and one ways that you've never even thought of to bring the money to you. You have then you end up with the money to pay for your car and then you find somebody in your church. Oh, man, look, they're, they're driving four bald tires. Let's go buy them new tires. Or somebody that has other issues and you fix it for them. That's not what the devil wants you to do when something happens. But that's what we must do. And if we get full of the word, that's the first thing we're going to think when things happen. All right. Bless God. Thank you, Lord. You'll provide. Let me close with this true story that happened at my office. Um, 
my office manager at the time, he's, he retired years ago, but at the time he was our office manager. And when I came into town one time, I'm on the road almost every week. So, and sometimes it, I go out and hit three different churches for three weeks. And so I'm gone for three weeks. So I don't get to see my office manager that much. And so I came in town one time and he said, Dr. Hutton, can I talk to you real quick? And I said, sure. And, and he said, um, I got to tell you something that happened a few months ago. He said, you know, we really haven't had other than our staff meetings. I haven't had any personal time to talk to you. He said, so I want to share this with you. He said, a few months ago, he said, my wife and I started having financial problems like crazy. He said, I never said anything to you about it. He said, but he said, first of all, um, the washing machine broke down. And so we had to have a repairman come. And, you know, the, just the trip there was $75 and the 130 some dollar repair charge. And, and so we didn't have that set aside. So we had to dip into our savings and pay for that. And then a week later, then one of the dogs, they had a couple dogs, one of the dogs had a sickness and we had to take him to the vet. Well, $150 later, we had our dog back and um, with the medicines that we had to buy and stuff. And, and we didn't have that set aside, so we had to take dip into our savings. And, and then a week later, I'm mowing the lawn and the lawnmower breaks down. And, and we're just going, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We don't have the money for this. And so they had to get the lawnmower fixed. And $85 later, they had to take that out. of Well, this kept happening. Then, uh, then they had a leak in the roof, and that was hundreds of dollars. Then just one thing after another. And I never knew all this, but so he shared it with me. He said, I'm literally every week something else would happen and he said brother larry this was just it was just terrible it's just getting worse and worse and and our savings are being depleted we don't have any extra and he said i'm sitting in the the office one day and at my office during that time i had my uh, scripture cds that you guys buy here those scripture cds i had them play them in the office all day long so while my staff was working they'd be hearing the word of god being quoted right he said that he was in there one day and the heaven's wealth food was playing. And he was listening to it and he was listening to it and he listened to it. And he said, Brother Hudden, all of a sudden it dawned on me. I realized the devourer is devouring my finances and I've got to stop it right this moment. He said, I stood up right here in the office of Larry Hutton Ministries and I told the devil, you take your hands off of my finances. You are not devouring any of my finances from this moment forward. And not only that, I found you out. You are going to repay everything you've stolen. And he told me, now it's been months since then, he said, now months ago when I stood up and did that, we have not had one thing go wrong, nothing happened, and God has restored and brought all extra finances in ways that we wouldn't have thought of so that we're back up and ahead of where we were. And he was a tither, friends. So if God was rebuking the devourer for tithers, then every tither would be doing fine. No devouring would be going on. But he doesn't. He already defeated. He did much better than rebuke him. You know the word rebuke, if you look up the Hebrew word, it means chide, which just means God said, take your hands off. But God didn't just tell the devil to take his hands off. He stripped him. He defeated him. He put him underneath our feet and then gave us the name, gave us the word, gave us the blood. You could use any one of those three things and whip the devil with. So I challenge my family here, your family. You know, pastors had me now. I started coming here preaching in 2004. Once you've had me a couple times, I'm family. I'm in whether you like me or not. I, I, you're not going to get rid of me. <laughs> so I'm talking to my family. 
So from now on, when things happen, don't just don't sit back and just accept them. No, bless God, you speak the word. And I'm talking in the financial arena. You know, when all of a sudden things getting tight and doesn't look like you have, you make sure you keep tithing. You make sure you keep giving offerings. And start, don't, don't, think, don't think you have to give it all at once because I've had people, they just go overboard and they give it all away and then they struggle even worse. If God didn't tell you to give it all away, don't do it. There's only been a couple of times in our lives, all of these years, where God spoke to my wife and I to give everything away. And we did. Only a couple times. Most of the time, it's, you know, okay, uh, we know we're going to tithe 10%, but now we want to give a, an offering here. Is it 1000 Is it 10000 What are we going to give? And then my wife and I pray and agree and say, okay, this is what we feel like the Lord telling us. So you go by that. If, if you don't feel like the Lord's telling you anything, which a lot of times you'll not ever hear anything. I don't know if you've ever been where, where preachers will have you pray, because I've had people pray before. Your pastor may have done this too. We'll have people pray. Say, okay, now pray and ask God what he'd have you to give tonight. If you don't hear anything, then what do you do? Somebody said, I don't give. No, 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 that's not Bible. You, you still obey the Word. <laughs> you still got to believe, obey the Word. That's why, what did pastor do this morning before he received our tithes and our, or our offering for our ministry? He gave you the Word. Galatians 6, 6. Let him who has taught the Word give. So, see, I don't have to hear from God. I heard from God. So now if he tells me an amount, that's wonderful. But if he doesn't tell me an amount, then I know, okay, well, the Bible tells me if I've taught the word, I've got to give. So I'm going to give. I'm going to do something. So how much should I give, Lord, if I don't hear an amount? Then I know, okay, I can give sparingly, which means I can give what I won't miss. Or I can give where I know I'll have to use my faith a little bit. So stretch yourself. You know, maybe wherever that dividing line is, if I give five, I won't miss that. If I give eight, eh, that's getting close. If I give ten, that's stretchment. Well, then give ten. See what I'm saying? And that's the way Liz and I gave our way out of debt into financial freedom. That's, how, that's the way I became a millionaire is through giving. Yes, God uses the natural things then, he, you know, when he tells you to go buy that car. When God started, I was, I, I didn't hardly have anything. I had to save for several months to have $500 to be able to buy a used car. I was not a car salesman. I was a preacher. <laughs> but I, could, I, I knew if I could buy that car at the right price, I could turn around and sell it and make 300 bucks. Then I'd have $30 tithe, another five or so to give offering, but I'd also have more money for myself. And then I did it again and again in cars and this and that. And then we started doing it as money, more money came in. Then we started doing it with houses and so forth and so on. And then you heard about the art that God had us do. I've done more than the one art. Folks, God wants us wealthy. And if we have a heart to give, that's, that's got to be your motive because it guards you from covetousness and it guards you from greed and it guards you from uh, loving money. If your heart is, I want more to give more, then guess what? You'll have more to give, but you'll also have more to live. So you'll be able to buy the nice cars, the nice home, whatever things you want. God's not against you. If you think God's against you having a mansion home and driving a Jaguar, then you need to go read uh, about Solomon's life. Get in the Bible and read what Solomon had. And it, the Bible says God blessed Solomon with those things. God had a, I mean, Solomon had a home that would put every home today that's, that's this millionaire homes, you know, the, 
these 10,000 and 25,000 square foot homes, Solomon's homes would put all of them to shame. Solomon's walls were covered with solid gold. His walls weren't covered with paint, friends. They were covered with gold. And he did not have mirrors and pictures as wall hangings. He had diamonds and jaspers and sapphires as wall hangings. It's beyond our comprehension because we've been so religiously brainwashed. As soon as we hear, oh, Creflo Dollar bought a $25 million jet. So what? The sinners are out there paying $250 million for a jet. Big deal. We've got to quit allowing Satan's sidetracks to get us off because he just wants to get you off the word and start focusing in. Bless God. I'm going to give more this year than I've ever given. Next 12 months can be the best 12 months of my life. And then watch, 12 months from now, you're going to be better off. You're going to be able to look and say, man, we gave more than we've ever given. And then say, okay, then we're going to give more this 12 months than we gave in the last 12 months. And you just keep increasing and increasing and increasing. My wife and I have been doing that every year, even through the recession. In fact, through the recession is when God started having us invest in that art I told you about this morning. It was when you're not supposed to be able to increase. It was the worst recession we'd had in decades, and yet Liz and I got richer during that time than we'd ever gotten. Why? God's not moved by recession. God's moved by His Word. God's moved by faith. God wants His grace to flow to us, but if we frustrate the grace of God, if we stop that grace from flowing, grace is released through faith. Just like you got saved, you use that same faith for God's saving grace, God's healing grace, God's financial grace. It takes faith to release grace. And grace is all based on nothing what you've done, all based on what Jesus has already done for us. Amen? Was this all right tonight? I'll tell you what, I just know it because, boy, when things happen now the next 12 months, you're going to be standing up and you're going to be seeing it is written. And then you're going to take verses of Scripture and you're going to speak them. Satan's going to have to flee and then you're going to watch yourself start rising. No, it doesn't happen overnight, but you watch. Things are going to speed up, though. That I know because God showed me that. Because we're getting shorter and shorter and shorter till the time of Jesus' return, you're going to start seeing things speed up. Plus, we just have a window of time when... When God told me open season, he showed me this is just for a season. And he said, then, then the windows will close and then Jesus will be coming back shortly after that. And then we're out of here and it won't bother us anymore. But everybody that remains, it's going to be bothered a lot. Because I'm not hanging around for the, for the tribulation. You, if you are a post-tribber, have fun, friend. I won't be here. If you're a mid-tribber, that's okay. You want to hang around for half of it, but I won't be help holding your hand or anything. I'm going with the first load. <laughs> Come on, let's lift our hands up and just thank God tonight. Lord, we just want to lift our hands up to you. We want to acknowledge right now that you are Lord of our money. We are tithe. I don't care if you've not been a tither. From this moment forward, you are. So you can just start with the rest of us. Lord, you, you are looking at a group of tithers, a group of givers. We're not tithing or giving because of the law. We're not tithing or giving because we have to. Lord, it's a lordship. We're putting you first in our finances. And then, Lord, we're going to use the authority and dominion you've given us. You've given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So 
we're going to release that authority and dominion through out of our hearts, through our mouths. We're going to speak the Word of God over our finances. These next 12 months are going to be the best 12 months of our life. In fact, let's all say it together. The next 12 months are going to be the best 12 months of my life. Say it again. The next 12 months are going to be the best 12 months of my life. Let's say it together. The next 12 months are going to be the best 12 months of my life. Say it again. The next 12 months are going to be the best 12 months of my life. Amen. Wow. Glory to God. That's awesome. I, I'm expecting it. Fully expecting it. And I want, I want to hear from you. You know, send us an email. Go on our website, touch base with us, call our ministry, whatever. Just I, I want to hear when things happen because I want to rejoice with you. We have an email list if you want to follow our ministry and stay in contact. We're, in fact, we're getting ready to do some special things with our email list coming up and this, later this year um, where we touch base and where I, when I get words from God, I'm going to share them with my email list, tell people what the Lord just said and, and try and... Uh, help help people out so if you want to get on our email list if you like to email then just sign up back there just don't write in tongues <laughs> i won't get the interpretation <laughs> but if you want to get on our email list they have it back there at the product table so um also wanted to let you know that um we have a scripture cd does anybody here have the power up scripture cd anybody here it's one of my favorites, and I listen to it a lot of times when I'm in the gym working out and stuff, because for a whole hour, all I do is quote victory scriptures. If all you think is victory, you're going to speak victory, and you're going to walk in victory. I'm talking in every area of your life. Do we have it queued up where we could sample that for him? Okay, yeah, go ahead and do that. Thank you, Teresa. This is power up. In the world, you shall have Turn it up a little. tribulation. But be of good. good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yes. The Williams translation. In the world you have trouble. But be courageous. I have conquered the world. The message translation. In this godless world you will continue to okay. experience difficulty. Yeah, you will. But take heart. I've conquered the world. <laughs> the Amplified. In the world you have tribulation and trials mm -hmm. and distress and frustration but be of good cheer take courage be confident certain undaunted yeah for i have overcome the world watch this i have deprived it, it of, of power, power. harm you and have conquered, conquered it for, for you. you you can cut it right there i like that god said i've deprived the world of its power to harm you and i've conquered it for you amen well if you hear scriptures like that you're going to start thinking, bless God, come on, devil. I mean, you're going, to, you're going to be thinking victory no matter what comes along. When the storm comes along, you're going to think, nope. You're, you're. Listen, I just did this uh, just a few months back. We live up in Tulsa. Tor Tulsa is known as uh, Tornado Alley and Tornado Alley. So we had a tornado coming right toward our house. And um, we didn't know it. We were in bed asleep at 1230 midnight. And all of a sudden, the tornado sirens in our neighborhood started going off. So we jumped out of bed. 
And they, they tell you, they tell people on our television stations in Tornado Alley, if a tornado is approaching, go under a stairwell, get to the most secure place, strongest place you can, get away from all windows and doors. So what did Liz and I do? We got out of bed, we ran to the door and opened the door and walked outside and started talking to the tornado. Are you kidding me? I'm not afraid of tornadoes. So my wife and I spoke to it. Well... What it had been doing, it already knocked out a Sonic restaurant in Tulsa and then a huge building next to the Sonic. And then it kept going up in the clouds and then coming back down, knocking something else out. And it made its way from Tulsa to Broken Arrow at our house. And now it's coming to our house. It it hadn't come down. It was in the clouds trying to come down. Well, we spoke to it and said, no, you're not going to damage our house in Jesus' name. We take authority over you. Come on. Can we do what Jesus did? As he is, so are we in this world. So if he could speak to storms, we can speak to storms. So the tornado came above our house, couldn't come down. Something kept stopping it. Just can't imagine what. It it got over the top of our house. My daughter was upstairs. She said it sounded like a train. If you've ever been in a tornado, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a train. I mean, it, it was rumbling and loud as can be. It's over the top of our house, but it can't come down. So then it goes past our house into my yard, and it comes down and knocks out one of my trees. Here's the good fun part. I was wanting to cut the tree down. I said, God, you took what the devil meant for bad and turned it for my good. I didn't have to cut the tree down after all. <laughs> but that that Power Up CD is one I listen to all the time when I'm driving, when I'm in the gym, different times. I'll just listen to it regularly along with some of the others too. Just regular. I want to stay full of the Word. So then when I face the tests and trials, because you're going to, you're going to face them in life, you're going to face tribulation. So if you're ready for it with the word, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your physical health, whether it's your emotions, whatever it is, you're ready to speak. It is written and God backs up his word. So get a hold of that power up CD. And then I wanted to just mention uh, my book. I have a book called. How to Stay on Top. The reason I wrote this book is because I've seen so many Christians go from one mess to another mess to another mess. to They're never staying on top. They just keep, they keep getting down and then have to be pulled back up. And God wants you to stay on top. Amen. And, in fact, God says in the New Testament he's able to keep us from falling. Did you know that? It's in the New Testament. So... You don't have to keep falling. This will teach you how to stay on top. And then I wanted to mention this because I've seen too many casualties in the body of Christ in recent times. There's too many Christians being overcome with sickness and disease. And so I put together a CD series called Healing Made Easy. It's actually four CDs, but it's over four hours of teaching. And I teach it. You guys know that have heard me now that I've been here a couple of times. I try and make things simple to understand, easy to understand, and so that you can actually do it, and it works for you. So that's why I call it Healing Made Easy. And then um, uh, we have a CD called Great Peace. What I did is I, I took a lady, and she's a great, great, I mean, studio, world studio musician. And uh, she plays so many different instruments. She makes a piano sing. And so I, I said, um, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to go in the studio have you sit down at your keyboard piano and, and you start playing to the Lord. 
but I'm going to give you two stipulations. Number one, you can't play anything you know. So I don't want you playing out of your head, just playing stuff you know. I want you playing out of your heart. Number two, you can't play the piano until you hear me start quoting the Word. So when you hear me start quoting scriptures, then out of your heart, I want you to begin playing to the Lord. Well, I quoted scripture. As soon as I started quoting scripture, she started playing out of her heart. I quoted for an hour and 20 minutes. Hour and 20 minutes she played unto the Lord. And you talk about peace. We felt like we could cut peace out and take it home with us. It was that good. So we put it on a, on a CD. We put it together because so many churches are using it now for prayer meetings and uh, little prayer, small prayer groups are using it. We have doctor's offices, dentist offices. We have daycare centers using it. And so if you want an instrumental that sets an atmosphere, have you guys ever noticed from Pastor Amy, right? Pastor Amy's playing that it makes it easy because of the atmosphere, easy to worship, easy to praise. That's what music does. It's supposed to anyway. So great piece if that one's back there. I mean, if you want to get that one. And then the last things I'm going to mention, I just released a brand new book. And I'm excited to let you guys know about it. It's called Limitless Life with Jesus. This is just a little $5 book It's instead of, you know, 200 pages. This is only an 80-page book. But what happened was we started advertising on Google. Some of you may have heard we were advertising on Google. We put up a salvation website. So if somebody typed in how to be saved or the sinner's prayer, then uh, they would find our page. If they opened our page and said the prayer, then they got saved and they would contact us. Well, we started having thousands and thousands of people contact us. We've gotten thousands, tens of thousands of people saved in, in just the last year from our Google advertisement. We actually asked Google how many people search Google. We, 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 we actually got in contact with their management. We want to know how many people search Google in this nation for, for how to be saved. And they got contact back with us. They checked their stats and said 33,000 people a month search Google on how to be saved. 33,000. Well, when the Lord spoke to us in our staff meeting, we were in prayer with our staff, and the Lord said, I want you to advertise on Google. So when we started doing it, we have never heard of one ministry in the world doing it, but we knew God told us to do it. So we created a separate website and started advertising, paid the money for advertisement, and the first week, eight people got saved, the second week, 12, the second, third week, 22. After a couple months, we had over 2,000. Now we've had over 40,000 people come to our website and say the salvation prayer. The reason I wrote this book is because us ministers, when we have altar calls or if you happen to be a soul winner and you go out, we like to have things in our hands to give them to read, right? So I got the standard stuff that I've always used in the past. Um, my spiritual father and some other great people that you would know if I mentioned their names. And I read their many books and I was left wanting. They spoke about salvation. They spoke about tongues and they spoke about healing but not anything that was really going to mentor the new believer. I thought, Lord, they don't talk about why you need to go to church, why you need a pastor, reading, reading the, why, what, what prayer is. Prayer is just conversation with God, and they need to understand how to talk with God, and, and what about their authority, and, 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 Lord, there's, and what about financial freedom. Lord, and the Lord said, I want you to write one. So now we wrote this for the purpose, but I sent it out to a num number of my pastor friends. One, one pastor, he has about 3,000 attend on Sunday mornings, 
And he said, Larry, he said, this book is not only for altar calls, it's for new believers classes. And then he said, in fact, every believer needs to read this because it'll stir you up. How many of us know the Bible says you can let these things slip? You need to be put in remembrance. So I'm telling you what, I would encourage you, especially if you're a soul winner and want to hand things out. If you, in fact, if you do that, make sure you contact us because when people buy these in quantity, we give them a huge discount. So, But Limitless back there, Pastor, here, you can have that one. Um, but those are back there along with anything else. If you want to, again, if you want to get on our email list, those are back there. But let me just encourage you tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to get my wife and, and our staff together. We're going to pray and just believe with you because I know you gave this morning. And pastor is going to give you an opportunity to give in our ministry tonight. We're going to take this. We're going to reach more souls. Because if we've reached 40,000, we're believing for 100,000. Been a little over a year, and we've reached 40,000 so far on that website. We're going to keep reaching more. But God's going to keep giving us more ideas. We, we've just had um, somebody tell us they're getting ready to open up a big TV uh, uh, station uh, in Texas, as a matter of fact. And, um, and then they're going to go at 90 different major cities all across the country, and they want us to go on the air with them. And so we're praying about that timing. And, of course, you know, it costs money to buy airtime and all that kind of stuff. But that's nothing for God. So believe with us. And, and as you sow into our ministry, if you want to be a partner, I don't know if anybody's a partner here or not. But you guys are partners? Oh, thank you. Uh, if you want to be a partner, there's partner cards back at the table. And uh, we need partners just like pastors. They need people that come and tithe. We need people that support us monthly uh, that will help us reach more souls and reach more people. And... and uh, touch lives, change lives. Praise God. So thank you for considering that and praying for us. And thank you for giving tonight when you did. We'll be believing with you for great return. And uh, what's going to happen the next 12 months? The next 12 months? Exactly. Say it again. The next 12 months are going to be the best 12 months of my life. Come on, Pastor. Praise God.